1: And we are live. It is the first ever episode of the Field of 68 After Dark. If you guys did not see the announcement earlier today, what we are doing for this channel and for this network is every night during college basketball season, we are coming to you live right at 11 o'clock Eastern Time as soon as the biggest games, those nine o'clock tips end it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Some of the guys that are going to be on the show, you see right here with me. We have Terrence Oglesby of Clemson. We have Robbie Hummel, who played for Purdue, and who, uh, who, who works for ESPN, the Big Ten Network, and basically everybody right now. And we have uh, that guy in the bottom right corner. He's a stadium insider. I don't feel like I need to mention his name. Uh, he has his jersey hanging up there over his left-hand shoulder. If you don't recognize it, the one and only really? gentleman. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? We're good. We're good. good.
2: All is well. Yeah, I mean, we got Hummel coming back from the zoo in San Diego. We got Terrence Oglesby over there with a real shooter. A real, I mean, it's it, thankfully, we have one real shooter on this pod because we know Doster shot like 22% in his career from three, and Hummel, I'm, I'm not even gonna get into your your, your three-point numbers.
3: I'm just thankful we have one real freaking journalist on this
4: uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> great hey, I will say this. I will say this. If if Hummel's the best defender that we have on this podcast, we're screwed from the get-go. Uh, yeah, we're screwed our defense it's being played either.
1: Yeah, so the point of doing this show right now is is we're we're unveiling our Uh, preseason all-american teams we have a field of 68 preseason first team all-american team and on this show we are going to be interviewing and talking to each of those five guys i'm not going to tell you who they are just yet Uh, we got a lot of show to get to of course this show is presented uh, by bet rivers our partners over at bet rivers um so let's get right into it this year the the hardest thing for me in putting together these all-american teams this year was the fact that it feels like every good player in college basketball this season is a big guy And I was torn on whether or not you can put five centers on a first team All-American team. And I don't think that you can. Maybe it's just me. I like having my All-American teams kind of look like an actual basketball team. So um, I'm I'm curious, Robbie. And Why don't you start us off with this? Is the number of big guys how how many good big guys we have in college basketball this year? Is this uh, the fact that there are just no jobs for them available? In the nba at this point
3: <laughs> gotta stick around because you can't go anywhere um we we've seen it in the big 10 the last like three years and it's just been so many good bigs and i'm not sure if that's totally the reason because i still feel like college players when they when they're having a good year big guard whatever you just you leave and you, whether you go to europe or you go to the g league or the nba whatever um I agree with you. I don't think you can put five bigs on the first team All-American list. I'm not saying you have to go point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, but I think you have to say, all right, we're going to go two guards, a wing, and, a, and, two, and two bigs or, or whatever. You have to have some semblance of a team. So I'm with you on that. I don't think there's a good explanation for why we have so many bigs right now that are good in college basketball, but I think it's just cyclical. I think there's years where there's great guards. I think there's years where there's great bigs. And right now we're in a we're in a cycle of really, really good big men in college basketball.
4: I think it has a lot to do with what you're saying, Rob. I mean, you look if you look back 10, 15 years, Hunter Dickinson's gone and he's probably a lot oh, of the pick. Now he can't find a place to go, obviously. But we I'm sure we're gonna get into this, but NIL plays a big factor, especially for a lot of these fringe guys. A lot of these guys are probably early second round and mid-second round, why wouldn't you stay if you can collect some checks up in Ann Arbor? I mean, it makes sense uh, if now that you can make a little bit of money and you can still be the focal point and be be the big man on campus, if you will. I think that has a lot to do
2: with it as well. So, yeah, I, I think- especially the guys we're talking about. Where The guys yeah. we're going to talk about, they're all in areas where they can make money, right? A lot of them are Big Ten bigs mm-hmm. or Drew Timmy. And, and those guys can make money where they're at right now so it is. It's it's really a combo of, Rob, what you're saying, and Terrence, what you just said. It's the fact that they're not locked first-rounders. They're probably not even locked guys that are going to get guaranteed deals. So come back. Try to improve your stock. Make more money than you would playing on a two-way next mm-hmm. year.
1: Yeah, so you mentioned uh, some of the Big Ten guys. We got Hunter Dickinson. We have Kofi Coburn. We have Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, you mentioned – Drew Timmy, we have his teammate at Gonzaga, Chet Holmgren. We have Paolo Bancaro uh, over at Duke. None of those guys are who we determine to be the best big man in college basketball. That would be Drew Timmy. Jeff, I know you love him. Talk to me about him. What makes him special? Uh, what, what What's the best part about his game and why, in your mind, do you think he is the Field of 68 preseason national player of the year? How about that?
2: You know, I fell in love with him at the p Jam. to be honest. As a junior, I remember tweeting out he was my favorite player to watch Uh, that whole summer because he played so damn hard with so much passion and he gets shit done. He does. I mean, he is Mm -hmm. super productive inside the paint. He, he knows what he is now. Will he continue to know what he is this year? That's going to be the big question for me because now you're hearing from the NBA, what you need to be able to step out and, and, and shoot the ball from three. He only took about, I think 25 threes last year. That number is certainly going to increase. And I just hope he doesn't change his game in college. Because, listen, to me, and I'll I'll go with another Zags big guy, uh, Domas Sabonis, okay? And I'm comparing him only in the sense that Sabonis knew what he was in college. And then when he got to the league, then he was able to step out. He worked on his perimeter game while he was still in college, but he understood what his team needed him to do to win and I hope Drew Timmy sticks with that as
1: the core of what he is because, man, he is brutal to stop in the post. Robbie, what do you you like about his game? I love his footwork.
3: I love how crafty he is. When he he gets the ball in the paint, he can really score the ball. I agree with Jeff, and I I think this is the hardest thing as a player. When you go and you get feedback, whether it's with the NBA, whether it's what you're listening to people on Twitter or the outside, they're saying if Drew Timmy wants to play in the NBA – he has got to make perimeter jump shots. And I I think that at times you can prove that, Hey, I can't make perimeter jump shots because I'm out there. I'm chucking them up and they're not going in. So I'm fascinated to see, and there's a lot of guys that we're going to talk about tonight. I'm interested to see when you take the next step and you're trying to, to be a guy that's a national player of the year, you know, do you stay who you are? Do you evolve? How does it work? And I think drew Timmy, that's a really good question, but I love how crafty is. I love his footwork. I love his intensity and his passion. Um, they're going to have one of the best front courts in all of college basketball. There's not a question about that. I'm really interested to see how does Drew Timmy play with these other guys who are so, so talented.
1: And, and we have Drew Timmy coming on here in a second, but Terrence, we talked about this on our podcast a little bit uh, during the week. How do you see Drew and Chet kind of fitting together in that front court?
4: Well, I think the fact that Chet is basically a three man, he's going to play a lot on the perimeter. is going to help some things, but the thing that makes Timmy Timmy is he's such a smart player. Whether it be his footwork, like Hummel talked about, or his passing ability, he doubled his assists from year one to year two. And I I fell victim to this. You know, you feel like you have to do other things to prove people wrong. Do what you do well. What he does got him nineteen and eight or nineteen and seven, whatever it was last year. Be you adjust when you need to. Your team needs you to be kind of the facilitator uh, on that Gonzaga team. And and I, I just love the way that. Timmy is able to he he can function in the high post he can really attack uh don't go crazy with the threes my man because what you already do is uh I mean it's
1: extremely valuable uh at the college level all right and we are going to head over to an interview with Drew Timmy right now
2: how pleased to be joined by Gonzaga's Drew Timmy who you look normal Drew like no I don't know. You look the most normal I have seen you since I first met you back your junior year in high school.
5: Yeah, you know, uh, just getting back to my old roots, but uh, I always got my stuff equipped. So if it ever needs to come out or needs to come out like right now, I can. It's always there for me. So
2: you, can just, get, you can just get the razor and go to work. Yeah, <laughs> All right. exactly. All right. That's good. I like that. I like that. All right. So last year. I think we talked and and we knew you'd have a breakout year, but 19 and seven last year, and we have you as a preseason national player of the year this year. What what does that sound like to you when I say that?
5: It's pretty surreal. It's something that uh, you dream about, but not something that you actually think could happen all the time. And uh, it's, it's truly an honor. And it's something that's like, it's really nice to hear, and, like, it feels good that, like, all the work you put in is starting to pay off a little bit. But, uh, honestly, like, that doesn't really mean much to me. Uh, I still got a bitter taste in my mouth from last year, and uh, I'm more focused on that than anything.
2: Yeah, I, I figured. I, I figured <laughs> that anything else you hear individually does not matter right now, does it? I mean, you're, you're back in school and on a mission for one thing, aren't you? Exactly how how much do you think about that loss to Baylor uh I think
5: about it more than I probably should <laughs> uh it's definitely something that uh motivates me every day I and mean, you know the days where it's a little extra hard to get out of bed or you know like finding that like 100 percent passion you know just thinking about that just really rejuvenates me and really helps me get going on the days that aren't easy to get going so uh it's, it's been a plus for me, honestly, especially this off season. just staying really motivated
2: and really just like pushing myself every day. All right. So what what's the difference in junior uh, Drew Timmy as opposed to sophomore in terms of what you worked on this past offseason? I assume we'll probably see you take more than 21 threes this year. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I think
5: uh, I think the main thing is I'm way more confident than I was last year. I think just stepping into this leadership role, uh, just being more of a teacher, especially to my teammates, trying to help them learn. And then also just that the more responsibility I have now this year, I really i am trying to embrace that. And I think that's been challenging me to get even better and set the bar even higher, even in stuff like practice and weights and shooting workouts. So I think it's really just helped my confidence grow and uh, as well as just being a better leader. I think that's the biggest things for me this year. So does that mean
2: you're you're less of a knucklehead during practice? You know, I know I know for you, you said, you know, you and him go back out a little bit with some friendly yeah. banner. Are you more a little more professional now during practice?
5: No, I'm still me. But uh, I mean, there's a more controlled like rage, I would say, in yeah. practice. So just that intense, you can just kind of irradiates, I feel like. So I think that's more. I'm more intense,
2: but I'm still the same me at the end of the day. All right. All right. Good. Good. We we don't want to lose that. We still want the <laughs> uh the fun, happy, go lucky uh Drew Timmy. We don't we don't need to lose that. We got enough guys who are buttoned up uh in college <laughs> basketball. We don't we don't need you to go that route. Um all right, so the team. Jalen Sugg's gone, Corey Kispert gone, Joel gone. Um you bring in a pretty good front court mate, though. Uh I, I'd say he's pretty good. Uh in Chet Holmgren he's, he's also got a little bit of a personality for big, doesn't he? And, and and how, how do you describe Chad Holmgren to people that haven't seen him play or haven't met
5: him? Well, I mean, he is a once in a generation talent. That's just obvious. I mean, I don't know what he can't do. He can shoot dribble pass. He just has a great IQ, but personality wise, he's just like really fun to be around. He's a great guy. He's He's funny. He's smart. He's witty. He's just really like, he's just a really fun person to be around. And he can, he can hold court in a room, but he can also, you know, sit back. He's like, he's just got really good, like social skills as well. He's a great guy.
1: Uh, I like how we asked Drew Timmy, what's it like to be uh to, to play in the front court with Chet Holmgren, and he says he has great social skills. That, that, that's part how <laughs> that team dynamic is going to end up working out. Um, all right, so we're going to move on. We'll get back to these big guys in a little bit, I, but I think the most, I guess, controversial pick for our first team All Americans is probably the guy that uh, that one Jeffrey Goodman, um, stadium down there has put on the first team. It is Andre Corbello from Illinois, their starting point guard. Um, he is he's a lot of fun to watch, they call him the magician. Uh, Our Deion Thomas, the host of the Champagne, um, uh, Champagne on Ice, uh, our Illinois podcast, calls him El Mago, the magician. So, Jeff, why is Andre Cabello a first-team All-American?
2: Well, I just think he makes everybody better. And and he does it in a way that I think is just going to be so much fun to watch for people that haven't already seen him, right? Now it's his show. You know, last year, obviously, uh, you had Io. And, And not to say Io had the ball in his hands all the time. But he had the ball in his hands enough, and he was kind of the closer. Now Curbello is going to be the guy that honestly is going to have it in his hands 99% of the time. Sure, he's got to cut down on his turnovers. He's got to make shots from the perimeter if they don't guard him out there. But nobody can do what Andre Curbello can do. And to me, I think he's going to be the best player. And I know a lot of people think it's Kofi Coburn, and he's one hell of a player. But ultimately, it's a guards game. And Andre Corbello is somebody, again, that makes every, everybody around him better. And he does it with so much flash and fun and smiling. And I, I just – I love the kid. I love him. I think he's going to have a hell of a year. I bet he averages you know, 15 and he has a chance to lead the country in assists.
1: Robbie, uh, you covered the Big Ten. I see you smiling. I see you laughing <laughs> over there. I, 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 I need a breakdown. I need your reaction to this.
3: And I don't, I don't want to come off as sounding like somebody who doesn't think Andre Cabello can play, because I, I totally do. I really like him. I, I think he can be a first-team, all-Big Ten type guy. We are talking, Jeff, about a first-team All-American. Yes, we are. Yeah. I, 16% from the three-point line, that is a huge issue. They're going to go under and under and under on pick and roll until he can prove he can make shots. I really like Andre Corbello. I think he can really pass. I think he can really make plays. Average a little over two and a half turnovers a game, which certainly with as many plays as he's making, you live with it. But he's got to make perimeter jump shots, and I'm just not sure that he's going to be the guy that can at at least yet. I think he can be a first-team All-Big Ten guy. I I just think first-team All-American is – I think Jeff's drinking some uh, some good stuff up there in Boston. I, I don't know about that.
2: You gotta have a point guard. That's my my take. Is again, we talked about this at the start of the show. You can't have five bigs. The point guard spot is not nearly as strong as it is up front, and I just felt like Curbelo – over some of the other guys, I went with Corbello because of his upside. And if he does, all he's got to do, Rob, is make thirty percent from three and take it Take
3: him. <laughs> this man made five threes last year. All he's got to do is shoot thirty percent from three. That that's, come on, dude. That's that's, I, that's like an easy thing to do when you have shot so poorly. And maybe just double it. Man, just you, double you it. It's Not easy. It.
4: I will say this to combat what uh, Robbie said, like. He will dribble and dribble and dribble until he gets into the paint. So I'll give him
1: credit there. Exactly. Right, that that is
4: huge. true. He'll, He'll get
2: there eventually. eventually. Yeah. He'll That's nine coming. ball
3: screens, and this dude will get to the rim. There we go.
4: <laughs> That's it. And he's one of the most creative finishers in the country. I mean, left-hand floater, up underneath uh, scoop shots, finger rolls. He, he, he does all of that stuff. And now that it is his show and Desune is out of the way uh, – I'm not sure first-team All-American. I think I'm siding with Hummel a little bit on this one. But I, as far as most fascinating player to watch in the country, he's got top three. I can't think of uh, yeah. two more more entertaining players in the country.
1: I, I will say this about Andre Corbello, and we got him coming on, this, uh, on the show with us next, is that he is going to get three or four assists a game just coming off ball screens and throwing it up to Kofi Coburn. So the numbers are going to be there, right? The the Illini are probably going to end up being a top 10, top 15-ish kind of a team. So if you can average – like, let's say he averages 15 and 8 on a team that's top 12 in the country. Those are going to be really good numbers in a a year where there aren't that many great point guards. So um, I personally would not have him first-team All-American. I kind of understand where Goodman is coming from, and that is the nicest thing that I'm going to say about Goodman at this point. So let's go to the interview. His
4: shot's not broken. I mean, so even though he was 5 of 31, which is atrocious – I can see where the percentage does
3: jump. Jeff, Jeff but, said he had a good five of 31, though. He really it liked yeah, it. It was. <laughs> it was to
1: me, it hit ball in the rim and then went out. out. Yeah, <laughs> A good five for 31. That's the, uh, that's the story of Jeff's life. All right, let's get to that interview with Andre Corbello.
2: <laughs> now pleased to welcome in uh, Andre Corbello, sophomore for Illinois, point guard that um, Andre, am I calling you Andre or am I
6: calling you Bello? I, I know hey, everybody calls to you, man. I, I like both. I have Andre, Dre, Bello, Cabello. I have I have plenty, so up to you.
2: No preference, no preference. All right, that's good. All right, I'm, I'm gonna call you Andre. I'm gonna try to keep it, you know, uh, try to keep it real here. And, yes, uh, all right, first of all, tell me a little bit about um, you last year and your role on last year's Illinois team as a freshman. You came in heralded. Obviously you're playing with two great players in IO uh, and Kofi. What was that like for you as far as, uh, as
6: the year went on? It was great, man. Um, You know, obviously when I heard they they both were coming back. um, I was happy. Uh, I didn't, you know, get mad because I was going to lose minutes or anything. Um, If anything, I did the opposite. Like I said, I was very happy they came back um, and like, you know, you well said it, I embraced the role. Um, I never, I came off the bench in high school a few times. So, like, I never had a problem with that. And, and you know, like I said, again, I embraced it. Um, I took the challenge and, you know, it, it was, it made me feel great because every time I came off the bench, something good was happening every time I came in. So, like, that gave me, you know, good vibes of me coming off the bench. And once again, like, that just made me even embrace, you know, my role even more. Um, because if, if I embrace that, um, to the high, to the highest point, um, I think that's why I played the way I played towards the end of the season, because I just said, okay, this is my role. This is what I have to do for the team. And that's everything I, you know, that's what I did on the court every time I stepped in. So I I love watching you because not
2: only do you make people better consistently, but you always look like you're having fun out there. Like you never stop smiling. And, and I think it's contagious um, where did you get your game from? I mean, you're from Puerto Rico, then you go to New York. There's a lot of flash
6: in both, right? Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Puerto Rico um, and New York. Mm-hmm. Um, not every time people ask me that um, I, I just tell them it came from me. Uh, it was natural. As soon as I, I started playing baseball and um, when, when I you know, stopped playing and I, I will watch my dad play because he played professionally in Puerto Rico and all that stuff. So, you know, I would go to the game and, and see people, you know, as a kid just running up and down. So I'm like, okay, maybe I want to do that. You know, as a kid, you want to feel free. And when I, you know, as, as soon as I started playing basketball, I just felt free. And and I felt like I had that fruit on the court to be myself. And, you know, when I started playing, I just, that was just the way I, I started playing. And, and, and I, once again, I embraced that. And not too many people play like that nowadays. So I think it's kind of unique um, in a way. Uh, just because not every point guard wants to pass first not not every point guard wants to keep their teammates happy or or you know look for their teammates first and that's something I, I take I take pride on because um, you know the game of basketball I've I, I've been playing for a while now 15 16 years and and it's not about winning and losing like I, I had to learn that the right way it's about how you impact all these people life and how you impact all these people game and I think I I do a pretty good job of that because I, I take pride on that. You know, I want to, I want to have guys that want to play with me. I want, I, I want to hear guys saying, Hey, I want to go play for him. Um, I'm with him. Sorry. And, and that's, that's, that's the pride I take on every time I step on the court um, because it, it, it's important to have that relationship with your teammates.
1: All right. So that was Andre Corbello. Um the next guy that we are going to talk about on our first-team All-American team, we kind of mentioned already earlier in the show, it is Michigan center Hunter Dickinson. Robbie, you cover the league. You see plenty of Michigan games. I know you like Hunter. What do you think about him, and, and why is he a first-team All-American?
3: He's just a really good player. You know, you're know, you talking about the Big Ten freshman of the year last year, pretty much a consensus second-team All-American A huge body at seven, one, he he takes up so much space in the paint. He can really score the ball. He loves to go to his left-hand jump hook. And I think that's why when you look at Hunter Dickinson, you say, Hey, he's got a right hand that he can totally develop. And you hope he's worked at it over the course of the off season needs to go right more. But man, when he goes left, he gets there. And it's something about lefties. They just can't, you know, I don't know if it's because in your mind, you're like, you guard right-handed players so often, But Hunter Dickinson's one of those guys where he gets to his left hand. I think this is a lot like Drew Timmy, what what Jeff was saying, where he he probably needs to stay himself. I'm not saying he cannot make threes, because I do think he's a skilled shooter. He really stopped shooting perimeter shots and even 15-footers the later you got into the season. It really kind of tapered off for him. I'm sure he'll want to shoot more threes, much, much like every big guy in America wants to do. That's okay as long as they're good, and I think he just needs to, you can't lose track of who you are, what you are, he's got great touch, he's a very good passer, but once again, you look at the assisted turnover numbers, not great, you know, at times he did struggle with giving the ball to the other team, has to continue to handle the double team, but overall, Hunter Dickinson is an elite player, and he's an elite big, and that's why I think you have to put him on the
1: first team. T.O., talk to me about him, what do you like about him? Well, if you if, a lot of what Robbie
4: just said, the fact that if he's able to handle double teams this year whenever they throw bodies at him and Juwan Howard's done a great job, you guys have talked about it on your other podcast. He's done a great job of surrounding him with talent. So whenever those double teams come, I'm sure that was an emphasis in the off season. He's just so efficient. I mean, we're, the Big 10, the league of the aircraft carrier still was able to get, you know, 60% of his field goals to. I mean, he's knocking shots at a really nice rate. If he's able to adjust to the
1: double teams, I mean, Michigan's got shooters around him. The one thing that I think makes a lot of sense here, and Jeff, you kind of touched on this a little bit when you talked to Hunter, is that uh, he is a big man and he is learning from Jawan Howard. There is so much valuable experience that you can get learning how to be a big man at any level of basketball from Jawan Howard. Am I right, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're a big guy
2: and you're going to pick a school and you're looking at somebody – I always said this one, like, Steve Wojciechowski was at Marquette or at Duke, and he was coaching the bigs. I'm like, who would want to go there as a big man and learn from Steve Wojciechowski, who's, like, 5'10"? It makes no sense. So, like, I want to learn from Juwan Howard if I'm a big. If I'm a guard, yes, I want to learn from Woj. So, like, to me, it makes sense. And Hunter Dickinson didn't really think about it a year ago. Came off the bench to start the year. And he was a guy who didn't have the full year to get in shape. Now he had that, you know, with COVID, you didn't have that luxury last year as a freshman. Freshmen were so far behind if you look around the country, but not Hunter Dickinson. Look at how successful and how productive he was as a freshman in a COVID year. That is what amazes me about what he did.
1: Here, here's the question I have for all of you guys. And, and anyone, please feel free to weigh in. If you have a strong opinion about this, um, defensively, what, uh, my big issue with putting guys like Hunter and putting guys like Kobe Coburn—I think he falls into that conversation—and honestly, Drew Timmy probably a little bit. Um, it, it's it's the defense, right? Like they there is certain limitations that come with playing those guys at the five in an era where ball screens are so prevalent. And real, real quick, really, like,
3: before before we go there, Jeff, would you like to learn how to be a big man from Pete Newell? How tall uh, is he? Well, he was he? He was bigger than Moja. <laughs> he was bigger than Moja. Six 6'2"? The king of the big man? I actually, I, well, listen,
2: I'm not saying it's <laughs> everybody. I'm not saying it's everything, but I'm saying, Robbie, if you have a chance to be tutored by Juwan Howard or Steve Wojciechowski and you're seven feet, who are you going to pick?
3: No, I. that wasn't my question. My question <laughs> was. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the award's named after him, and I'm pretty sure he's under six foot four. Anyways, Rob, back to what were
2: you? Rest were you in, in peace. Rest in peace, Pete
3: Newell. First
7: yeah. of
1: all, yes. Hey, look, big men can be six foot four. Robbie, what, what are you saying about Mark Vital?
3: <laughs> yeah, my man <laughs> Mark Vital would, would argue that. Uh, we you're you're talking defense with Hunter Dickinson in the in the ball screen stuff, and I think that's a that's certainly an area he needs to improve in, and, and will need to continue to improve in. Um, you can never be too good in pick and roll, and I you know I look at I was fortunate to play with Kevin Garnett at the end of his career and certainly he had attributes physically where he could really guard ball screens, his length, his athleticism, even at 39. But the the fact of the matter was he's the best ball screen defender I've ever seen because he would just communicate at the highest level. He would talk guards through it. He would shut the whole side of the court down. And yes, part of that is his length and, and his wingspan and just his, you know, natural gifts. But There's a lot of ways you can improve. And Hunter's going to have to get better laterally. He's going to have to really become a better communicator. But, you know, it's a work in progress. And from an NBA standpoint, you've got to be able to do it. We'll see what he looks like this year because you know teams are going to put him in pick and roll. Hey, Rob, quickly, quickly. How many F-bombs did KG yell at you <laughs> o-
2: over the short time that you guys played together? It had I, to be well, before to you face. get to
1: that, I was literally about to ask the question, what's the meanest thing that KG ever said to you in practice?
3: Dude, he was never mean to me. He was so, wow. He's the best teammate ever. Now, other guys, <laughs> right. other teams, it's a freaking free-for-all. But the first time I met Kevin Garnett, he said the F-word like, Legitimately, I heard him a hundred times. He he loved.
2: It. <laughs> <laughs> you can't bring kids close to the court, like any young kids. When KG's playing, you cannot have them in the first five rows.
4: Hey, I will say this about the college game: we're going back to Hunter Dickinson playing defense. I mean, KG obviously was great at ball screen defense for a number of reasons, but I think what Dowster alluded to earlier is big because he did. Dickinson didn't have that summer to prepare for college ball screen defense. And you saw it, no matter if it was Kentucky with all their young guys, Duke struggled with a lot of young guys. Those small details as far as how far to go up, you know, when you're playing drop coverage or something like that and still communicating, that is massive during the summer. I think you're going to see a big improvement just
2: simply because of that alone.
1: Fair enough. All right, let's get into that interview with Hunter Dickinson.
2: All right, now pleased to welcome in uh, first team, preseason first team, all-American Uh, Hunter Dickinson first of all how does that sound Hunter?
7: It's pretty crazy I mean you know growing up um, you see all those accolades that players will get you know preseason first team and all that but to you know kind of hear it um, for the first time was really special for me.
2: Especially considering a year ago uh, you came off the bench to start your career. I think you played about uh, 15-18 minutes your first game against Bowling Green and what was it last year that you think enabled you to to come on like you did as a freshman and have that type of impact?
7: Um, I think it was a mix of, you know, Austin Davis being there, you know, the veteran leadership. Um, he taught me everything that he knew. And I was so appreciative of him for that because um, there's no way I would have been the player I am today without him. And then, you know, obviously Coach Howard, um, you know, being the expert that he is and all things big men, um, uh, like you know those two um, really helped me and i over i owe everything you know I, I did last year the, to those guys
2: so I, I can see it already not in person here but you got a little more definition little yeah. little little thinner um what what's the off season been like for you and you know go through kind of what the NBA people told you as you went through the process
7: yeah I mean this summer was amazing for me you know I was really happy with it I feel like I got a lot better um you know I feel like my game has just changed so much since um, last year. And, you know, I just feel a lot better about my game. Um, the NBA people told me, you know, everything that, you know, I assumed going into, like they want to see me um, hit threes, you know, for an entire season and not just, you know, in workouts and stuff like that. And then also, you know, with ball screens and stuff like that, they want to be able to see me switch um, on the perimeter a little bit more and just, you know, my overall movements and stuff like that. And so, you know, we, uh, me and Coach Samman I've been working on it even me and Coach Howard have been working on it. And so that's stuff that, you know, we've been working on um, at the end of the summer, but especially um, during the summer when I was back home with my strength coach. No doubt, no doubt. So last year you were (laughs) 0 for 4 from 3.
2: Are we going to see you launching 3s this year? Do you have the green light? Do you know yet whether you're going to have the green light? Are we, you know, moving it out to like 18 feet?
7: I mean, Coach Howard, like, um, I think everybody on the team has the green light with him. That's one of the best things that – people love playing for him. You know, if you play for coach Howard, you know that um, he's not really going to like get mad at you for taking one or like, you know, a specific shot, as long as, you know, it's within the offense and, you know, he's seen you work on it and stuff like that. And so that's why, you know, I think a lot of people feel comfortable playing for coach Howard because, you know, he doesn't put you in a box. And so um, I definitely think that, you know, he's, he's okay with me shooting. And I think that's something that, you know, I've been working on really hard this summer. And so, I plan to use it.
2: I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, First team preseason All-American. Now you got to go out there and do it and win some games again. For sure.
1: All right. That was Hunter Dickinson, the next guy that we are going to talk about. The fourth member of our preseason first-team All-American team is probably the least surprising member of a preseason first-team All-American team, and that is Duke Center and freshman Paolo Bancaro Goodman. It's Paolo Bancaro. Get it right. You pronounced it wrong for 18 months. I did. And he never corrected me. He never corrected me. Never corrected you. We have have our ACC expert here, Terrence Oglesby. Uh, I know you like – this kid just about as much as I do we had a conversation on our podcast on Tuesday where I asked you who the one player that you would pick to start a team in college basketball this season is and you picked Paolo Bancaro why is that to hey good man.
4: it's actually Paolo Napoleon James Bancaro just in case <laughs> all four names are correct uh, right. no in order to have a good college team what do you go after you go after your one position and your four position if those two are really good your team's usually pretty good and uh, Paolo Banqueiro, a lot of people are going to see him and just be shocked at some of the things he does. He does it at 6'10", 260 pounds, and he handles the ball well. He's overwhelming physically. And there's a number of reasons why Coach K decided to come back for one more victory <laughs> lap, if you will. And Paolo Bancaro is one of those reasons. He's going to remind some people, in my opinion, of Jabari Parker whenever he came to Duke you know, with that level of athleticism, some perimeter ability. And I think he's going to shoot it better than Parker did too. And that's not a slight because Parker was, you know, first team, all ACC third team, all American freshman of the year in the conference. Uh, He's somebody that can dominate the game like that. You're looking at somebody who's going to get 20 and 10. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I have that say that with no hesitancy, he's going to be that physically gifted And some of the videos guys that are coming out of Duke's camp wherever he's coming off ball screens at this size and making skip passes across his body, I mean, it makes pros salivate. It makes basketball heads salivate. This guy is going to be something special in Durham.
1: Yeah, there's things that he can do as a big man that you're not supposed to do as someone that is the size of Carl Malone, more or less. And the thing that's most impressive about him to me is that you watch some of his high school tape, and, I mean, he's running the one, man. He's he's grabbing and going off of rebounds. Right. They're running him off of ball screens, and he's one-twoing into pull-ups off the dribble, hitting 18-footers off the dribble, hitting step-back threes. I mean, Robbie, do you, how many 6'10", 260 guys have you ever seen that are that are going between their legs and doing sidestep threes?
3: Not many. Um, I, I mean, I just think that it says something when you're starting to see some articles come out about coaches leaking that this dude is, is on the same type of level as a Michael Beasley or a Kevin Durant, that, that type of talent level. And, I mean, T- Terrence talked about, you know, his abilities and what he can do at 6'10", 250. I look at the fact that he can push the ball off the glass and then move it into transition. And I think Mark Williams coming back, you play him at center, you've got Vankero at the four, and with the way Duke scored or their lack of scoring last year, they're, they're certainly going to be much improved because they have a much different team. Mm-hmm. But I just think that's such a weapon. It, it is so hard to guard when your foreman can take it off the glass push it in transition and initiate offense, he can certainly do that. He can make threes. He can make shots off the bounce. He's a freak. And I think he's maybe flying a little bit under the radar just because Chet Holmgren was on TV so much. And people mm-hmm. saw him, and rightfully so, because Chet is a freak in, in his own manner. But, you know, I think when we when we see Paolo Bancaro this year, it's going to be eye-opening at how good he really is.
1: Yeah, I'm just imagining – Uh, Duke running ball screens with three shooters around the perimeter and Paolo Bancaro coming off of Mark Williams. And I just don't know how ACC teams are going to be able to stop that. I mean, you got a guy that can make some of those passes. You got a guy that can handle the ball at that size, that can hit jumpers and can also, oh, by the way, bully you in the post or dunk over you from about 10 feet away. Like that, guys like that don't come around too often. And I, I do want to try to avoid putting too much of a level of expectation on him because I. We have just guys. compare like him to Durant
3: and Mike Beasley. So yeah, I know. Like that's, yeah. that's
1: too, to me, that's 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 too much. Especially, I'm going to take it where, down.
3: Uh, I'm going to take it down a notch. I'm, I'm no, only don't, don't tell me that Shane Webber.
1: Sharp is better than him.
2: No, Chris Weber. I'm I'm comparing him to Chris Weber, and, and I say this in the interview with him. I think they're very similar at the same stage. Paulo is actually a little bit taller, but if you remember Weber, obviously, what could he do? He could do everything, right? I mean, he just had. Physical gifts that allowed him to score at all three levels, take it off the glass and go with it. Played hard. This kid plays hard as shit. Yes. Like I saw him a year and a half ago. I actually saw him at USA basketball. And then I went out to Seattle and saw him in a high school game. And he's just so physically dominant. But he doesn't just go through the motions ever. Like he plays hard at all times. And I think that's what's going to separate him. And like you said, Terrence, I think he can be a guy who averages 20 and 10 this year. How much did
4: Weber weigh coming out of high school? Because there's no way he went 255 pounds. I think that's going to be.
2: Probably 225 or 230. Mm -hmm. I mean, that'd be my guess coming out of high school. This kid is a man child. And again, he's going to be the cornerstone of everything that Duke does. And again, another one that I hope doesn't fall in love with his perimeter shot, because I still think. He's way more effective somewhere from like 12 and in like he can, he can just score around the basket and in transition is a monster.
1: Well, he needs to be able to kind of understand that he can put his head down and get to the rim pretty much whenever he wants to. But the fact that he can make those shots, there's a difference between taking a shot to take it and taking a shot because it's the right shot. And I think that that's going to be something that's very important for him to understand before we do get into that interview though. I just want to make something very clear. And I don't know if any of you guys know this Paulo Banquero when he was 12 years old, was a world-class long jumper. So not only is he 6'10 to 260, but he's a kid that has that kind of explosiveness and athleticism. Well, let's that hope
3: the 12-year-old long jumping translates to college basketball. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Let's get into that interview with Paolo Bancaro.
3: Now
2: pleased to welcome in Duke freshman Paolo Bencaro. I got the pronunciation right this time, Paolo, so I apologize for uh, – a year or so ago getting it wrong how's life so far on the campus uh, of duke
8: it's been good it's been good um practicing being on campus going to class you know being around other students um just living it, living the college life has been good living, living the dream you could say so
2: <laughs> <laughs> last time we saw each other it was in seattle high school game and, and i just said to you, you look a little different now again the camera it can change a little bit, but you said you're you're leaner, you're taller. Um, what what are you what are you at now? six nine six ten? What are you at?
8: <laughs> yeah, I'm def, uh, definitely taller since the last time you see me. Um, I'm about six six ten without shoes.
2: Wow, wow, yeah. And you definitely yeah you definitely look like you trimmed down a little bit. Um, what what has been the biggest change in your game since I last saw you in person?
8: Um, I would say I, I just, you know, overall just got better. Um, i say I'm more confident dribbling the ball and just having the ball in my hands. Um, I think I always was comfortable with it, but I think now I'm, I'm just super confident um, with, with the ball at, at any spot in the, on the floor um, since the last time you saw me. So uh, just getting, but then just getting better in, in every aspect, you know, becoming a better shooter, um, you know, stronger still finished through contact stuff like that.
2: I don't know if you remember, but my, my, everybody loves to compare people to somebody. My comparison for you, I don't know if you remember it. it was Chris Weber. And I don't know how much Chris Weber tape you've watched in your, in your career here or in your life. Uh, but he was that multi, one of the first kind of multi-dimensional forwards, big, strong, could do everything, pass, shoot, dribble, score inside. Um, Who do you think you play like? Who's the best comparison uh, for you?
8: Um, The best comparison if I had to pick one player, I would say, I don't know. (laughs) I would say, uh, I don't know. I would just put me in the mode of like a, a forward, you know, a dynamic forward who can Play all positions, guard all positions. Still can score inside, can stretch the floor, attack off the dribble. Whatever you need me to do, defend, rebound, uh, play athletic above the rim. You know, just whatever.
2: All right, that sounds like Chris Webber to me. Um, and pass what, two, pass two. That's what I'm saying. That, <laughs> see, you're 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 describing C- Chris Webber's game when he was certainly in college and. And in the NBA. All right. So what's what's the weakness in your game? What do you need to get better at? What is Coach already kind of harping on you? Because uh, I'm sure he is about something. What's yeah. it been about?
8: Um, really, just um, you know, when I catch the ball, not not putting it down and, and wasting dribbles, um, just being decisive, catching triple threat and, and ripping. You know, going going hard one way, um, just making strong moves all over the floor, um, playing playing with a wide base playing, playing uh, just aggressive, you know, everything I do, you know, it gives me a lot of freedom as long as it's all strong moves, aggressive moves. You know, if, if I start being too finesse or kind of going up soft, you know, that's when he, when he jumps on me right away. So playing through contact. All
1: right. That was Carlo Dancaro. Um so the last guy that we have on our preseason first-team All-American team is a guy that I'm going to talk about a little bit. He's my pick. He's the guy that I pushed on to get on there, and he is someone that is probably going to be a little bit uh, – I don't know if controversial is the right word, but it's not going to be a guy that a lot of people I'd, I'd say there. controversial is a good word. That's a good, <laughs> great word. It's a great, <laughs> it's, great word. It's James, it's James Akinjo uh, from Baylor, um, the transfer from Arizona who started his career at Georgetown. Uh, he averaged 15 points and six assists last season at Arizona. Um, but he's also a kid that's bounced around quite a bit in his college career. This is the third program that he has been at. The reason why I have him here is that I don't know if there is a more. Uh, there it point is. Guard friendly. There you go. Good. <laughs> I don't know if there's a more point guard friendly offense than what Scott Drew runs in Baylor right now. He's they're going to put akinjo in ball screens. They're going to allow him to kind of get on, get out there and create. Um, and I, the one thing that I really think I want to emphasize here is that I, I was talking with Scott Drew over the summer at Peach Jam. And the one thing he said about James is that that dude is like competitive to a fault. Like he doesn't accept being on, on teams with players that aren't going to live and die with everyone and lost the way that he does. And uh, I mean, at Georgetown that, that was just not, I mean, to be frank, that was not going on when uh, James and Kendra was there. And when he was at Arizona, he had a bunch of European freshmen on the roster and it just, it was not a great fit for him. That culture yeah, you couldn't, of understand and per- you couldn't understand <laughs> them. Couldn't understand it. That's it. That's true. That Baylor. That Baylor culture is perfect for James Akinjo. I think that offense is perfect for James Akinjo. So I know I'm going out on a bit of a limb here, but I'm I'm calling my shot. I'm planting my fa- my my flag in the sand, and I think that James Akinjo at the end of the season is going to be a first team All American. Someone tell me why I'm wrong. Oh,
3: uh, go
2: ahead, players? Robbie. You want to start, Robbie? Go ahead, start.
3: I just I just said because there's better players. That's that's mine. Reason that you're going to be wrong. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> That's all I got to say.
2: Because he's going to be the third leading scorer on his own team. So let, let's start with that. I think Adam Flagler and Matthew Mayer both average more points a game. I love Akinjo because he is. He's a killer. Like, isn't that isn't Meyer? Meyer. I'm sorry. What did I say? Meyer? He's butcher everybody's season. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, it's like Dosterism. Like he rubs off on you and you just start pronouncing everything wrong.
1: Maybe maybe you're the one that pronounced maybe I'm the one that pronounces everything right. And just been <laughs> badly influenced by you. I think that's what's actually going on here.
2: It could be. It could be. Probably hanging around with you too much. But listen, Akinjo is good, but Baylor's going to be very balanced. That, that's the deal with this Baylor team is I think they're going to be very balanced, so I don't think they're going to have. I thought about you know all those guys as possibilities. but ultimately, I don't think you could take a guy from Baylor. I don't think you could take a guy from Texas. I don't think you could take a guy from Kansas because I think those three teams, all of which are in the Big 12, are all super balanced.
3: I, I will say this. I believe in Matthew Myers' game at, at the highest level. Now, do I think he loves to play? I don't know. Hey, Rob, <laughs> he loves a lot he, he's, he's
4: a Robbie Homo
3: clone. Oh, he, no, Myers. he is so much more athletic than I ever was. You watch yeah. this dude in warm-ups. He's going off one, and he is hammering it. <laughs> but I think if anybody's going to leave Baylor in scoring, I, I really think Matthew is going to be the guy. I will I mean, say this. Out of
4: the five guys that we've already picked, I think this team, the Baylor team, is going to rely on Akinjo more than any of the other four. And the reason I say that is because with Jared Butler leaving and Davion Mitchell leaving – my biggest concern coming into this year for Baylor was who's going to make the initial breakdown in defense because Meyer is excellent off the catch whenever somebody's flying at him. So is Flag or Flagler. Whenever he catches the ball, he's got to have somebody coming at him because he's such an excellent shooter. Who's going to make that chain of events happen? And I think he can, because he's got that elite quickness and able to get wherever he wants, I think he could have that type of impact. Is he an All-American? That's Yes, Percy. Uh, yeah, like, of, course, of course. How
1: course. much space yeah, he is the have to The writers, writers on
3: this podcast yeah. are drunk. Most, how much what
1: space are hey, hey, look! I played two and a half years of Division three basketball, Robbie. All right. God. Don't label me a writer. Cool. All right. To him, I was. I was a thoroughly You're more of a player than Jeff. guys. Exactly, Okay. All right. And I my Listen. List. All I'll say is Terrence
2: comparing Hummel and Meyer. Meyer's honestly, his vertical is
1: double Hummel's. Double. No. I, Goodman, what's what you know? We know what Robbie's vertical is. It was because Hummel was wearing yeah. knee braces since he was like ten. No. He was yeah, right? You're
3: talking about my vertical no. jump after I blew my knee out twice. I've had two meniscus surgeries. <laughs> i <Went out> 32. <laughs> but it's not what it was when I was 20. All right, I we got
7: the,
5: uh, are, we got
1: we James Akinjo here. Let's get into that interview with James. Akinjo. <laughs> Jesus, let me welcome onto the show new Baylor point guard. James and Kenjo. James, thanks for coming on. How you doing, man?
9: I'm doing good. How you doing?
1: I'm doing real well. I'll start you off with the easy one. You've been at Baylor for a couple of months now. And how's that transition gone? Are you settled in
9: yet? Transition been good. Uh like I said, my teammates and my coaches have made it real easy for me. Uh just accepting me, allowing me to come in and be myself. And I'm just loving working hard here and competing every day. So one of the things that we hear over and
1: over again about this Baylor program is their culture. And you're somewhat unique in the sense that you've spent time at uh, three really terrific basketball programs now. I'm curious, uh, what is it about this this Baylor culture that kind of sets them apart and that stands out and is a different? Uh, that, that's different than Georgetown and Arizona where you were previously?
9: Uh, first of all, everything here is uh, God first. So uh, we do things that are unique that uh, other schools don't do and uh, the way we put God first in our lives and And uh, the standards that we set for ourselves, not only on the court, but off the court, Uh, we are all held to a high standard off the court. And there are certain things that, you know, are not required of us. But, you know, just being here and being a part of the culture that, you know, you kind of want to do. And it, it just helps you become a better, better, better person on and off the court. So this culture is definitely unique.
1: So you are a veteran, you've been around college basketball for a while, but you're also kind of the new guy in this program, filling the void of two guards that basically were the foundation of uh, back-to-back Big 12 champions. So let me ask you this, how do you how do you balance that? How do you balance being the new person in the program while also having to fill the void of the leadership left by two of the best guards that you're going to have uh, through any Big 12 program and, and Jared Butler and Davion? Uh,
9: I just come in and be myself. Uh, obviously, off the rip, I can't come in expecting to be the vocal leader. Uh, this new group uh, of guys, uh, you know, there's some guys that already been here, but as time go on, you know, people already, you know, people, my teammates, they know that I've been in college, so you know, they are looking to me, you know, for 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 some things to and, and some answers, you know. So I just come in, and I be myself, and I lead by example. Uh, every day I come out, I work hard, I compete, and I try to set the tone and practice and and everything how i was supposed to be and how i was going to be in the game. So. It's easy to come in and be myself.
1: So you mentioned being yourself. I, I spoke with Coach Drew at Peach Jam, and what he told me is that the thing he loved the most about you is that you are out of your mind competitive, and you expect nothing less from your teammates. You, you think that's fair assessment?
9: <laughs> yes, yeah, fair assessment. Definitely. So what, what, what,
1: you, I mean, you're competitive. What are your you're coming off of a national title? Like, what,
9: what's your level of expectation going into the season? What What are your goals there? Obviously, the goal is always to a national title. But with that being said. You can't win a national title in one day. So we're not thinking national title. We're going to win it today or tomorrow. Uh, We understand the work that got to be done. So we are thinking, you know, every day we got to come in, we got to work hard, take it day by day, game by game. But obviously the ultimate goal is to win that national title.
1: Be those back-to-back champs. I like that. That's a good politically correct answer right there. So this is my last question for you, and I think it's the most important one. Everyone that I've met associated with the Barrela program, has a funny story about Coach Drew, whether it's something ridiculous he did on the recruiting trail, whether it's his inability to drive without getting a ticket. So I I need your your funny Coach Drew story.
9: I don't know if I have a story. I haven't been around like that long, but he's just a funny guy in general. You know, when he recruiting you, his energy and the way he is and how upbeat and uppity he is, you think it's fake because he's trying to recruit you just to get you. But when you actually get here, uh, you see that that's not fake at all. Like, that's really him. Like he's always the same way every day. Like he's always in a good mood, always happy. He looks for the best in every situation, and he always wants to see his players do good. So uh, I think he's just a funny dude in general.
1: I bet that's a lot of fun when you walk in for a six a.m. practice and he's already smiling and beaming ear to ear, huh?
9: Yeah, always smiling, beaming ear to ear, yelling, turned up, you know, just energy, just just it, it's contagious.
1: Well, listen, James, I appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck to you this season, and thank you for coming on the show with us.
9: Thank you for having me. Appreciate you.
4: That seems to be a recurring theme with Scott Drew. All these guys come in, they think it's fake, and then it ends up being real. But just kind of expound on my point a little bit. You know, you guys know how many assists that Mitchell and, and uh, Butler combined for? 309. I mean, that's significant, and – him having to come in and create for his teammates. So yeah.
1: first team All-American, maybe.
4: Yep. But, you know, yep. he, he's going to be relied on re- uh, heavily in
1: that offense. So the, the teams that we just talked about are kind of the consensus that all of us put together. Um, each of us have our own individual preseason All-American teams, first and second team. Uh, Robbie, since you seem to hate every single decision that has been made. Oh. Like tonight- <laughs> I mean,
3: you said consensus, and I'm pretty sure two of the picks – Multiple people were like,
1: whoa, but that, that's fine. Go, <laughs> go ahead. You go first. Talk to us about your team. I'll, okay. I'll so so team my, my
3: first team is going to be th- three guys that you had. I've got Drew Timmy. I've got Paul Bancaro. I've got Hunter Dickinson. I went Johnny Juzang at UCLA, and then I'm going Colin Gillespie as a, as a point guard. And I just think you know, when you look at that, I go with Johnny Juzang because of the fact that he had an absolutely monster NCAA tournament. And you're doing it on the highest level against Michigan, against Gonzaga. I just think that you can't overlook that. And certainly, we're going to talk about later, Juzang versus Jaime Jaquez. And that's, that's a valid argument. But I think you have to give credit to Johnny Juzang for the NCAA tournament he had. I have a feeling that there will be some critics of Colin Gillespie. He's coming off a knee injury. But the way I look at it is, He's a really, really solid point guard. He's going to play on, on a big-time team for Jay Wright at Villanova. And, and I, I think that there's people who have proved in college basketball you can come off a serious knee injury and still get buckets. So, so we'll see what Conor Gillespie <laughs> brings to the table. My second team, Chet Holmgren, Trace Jackson Davis, Jay Ivey at Purdue. Kofi Coburn was a tough one to leave off the first team because of how good I think of a year he's going to have at Illinois. And then Amani Bates at Memphis. ton of opportunity learn from one of the best in Penny Hardaway. He's going to play some point guard. I think that that could really suit him. And he's not going to have to do it all the time, but I, I think Amani Bates is going to be a really, really good player this year for Penny Hardaway.
1: Yeah, that's actually a perfect segue. Uh, Dagan, if you could just throw up my team um, r- real quick. Uh, I have Jaime Hawkes as one of my first team All Americans. And um, as you can see, I also have Colin Colesby on there. I have Paolo Bankero as a first teamer, Drew Timmy, obviously, and of course, James Akinja there. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about Jaime versus Johnny Juzang because I I, I want to say this thing. I, I really like Johnny Juzang as a player. I got him as a second team All American. You can see right there. Uh, but I think he's kind of just like a guy that is a shot maker, right? And if you look at what he did for UCLA last year. He just went on an unbelievable run in the tournament, but he's not going to shoot like that high of a percentage across an entire season. I can see a year where he kind of has like 15, 16 points a game that he averages, uh, where some nights he goes off for 29. Some nights he also shoots three for 13 from the floor. So um, to me, he's a guy that is a, a scorer first and foremost. And when he's hot, he's going to look great, but he's not going to be hot every night. I think Jaime Jacques does so much of what a Mick Cronin coach team needs, right? He's tough. He's going to defend. He can play bigger if he needs to. He's going to knock down shots. Uh, he makes everything kind of work from that that small ball four spot that he gets used in. Um, and, and uh, I mean, it's a different conversation. I, I just think UCLA is going to be awesome this year. Um, they have great players. They have a really good point guard in Tiger Campbell that I think can kind of facilitate everything. I think Peyton Watson is going to be a monster stepping in. They're going to have a lot of really good defensive pieces. And to me, Miles Johnson is the most underrated addition for any team in college basketball, I think he's the anchor inside that they haven't had. But I just think Jaime is based on what he can do for the for, for his entire game, is it's something where he's just a perfect, perfect Mick Cronin player. I don't know how you guys feel. To Jeff, way, way in there?
4: I love Hawkins. I I think the fact that he hits so many tough shots, I I think he's the best player on UCLA's team because he can do it on his own wherever he goes. I think that's the big difference between him and Juzang. Juzang's is another guy that attacks off the catch. If you go back and look at all of his makes, he's somebody that's really good as long as somebody gets him in a spot. Now he is good at getting two spots where he can catch it and, uh, you know, make some actions happen. But some of the shots that Hawkins was hitting last year, uh, during the tournament, it was just unreal. And while both of them are really good, in my opinion, I think Tiger Campbell is the most important player to this team just because of the pace they play one, and he's got to find a way to divvy up shots between the two.
1: Before you go, Jeff, I just want to give a shout-out to Simeon Fuller who jumped into the uh, the chat and he said, Robbie, that's some real haterade. And then he said, the alone I." will dominate Purdue this year instead of the Illini. He got the alone eye. That's one of the best typos I've ever seen in the right. <laughs> The alone eye. Oh, man. Jeff, where do you stand on uh, on Jaime Jaquez versus Johnny Juzang? And why don't you kind of take us through your your All-American teams here?
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, I have no problem with both. Uh, I, I, they were in the equation for me. Again, it was really difficult for me to pick one, so I picked neither because I think UCLA, much like, again, the Baylors, the Kansas's, the Texases, they're all going to have a bunch of dudes that are averaging between 12 and 15. I, I don't, and, and Juzang, to me, I don't want to say he's a one-trick pony because he's not, but I think he's an elite-level shooter who made shots on the biggest stage. And it kind of overshadowed some inconsistency during the, the regular season last year. Uh, I have a couple surprises here in mind. Curbelo starting it. Buddy Bayheim elite-level shooter, you know, average about 18 a game. He's going to average 20 a game this year at Syracuse and probably shoot 40% from three. And I think he's better. He's not a one-trick pony. I think he's able to put the ball on the floor. Um, he's gotten better at that. Uh, Chet Holmgren. No-brainer to me, Amani Bates, uh, another guy that uh, I know Rob had on his second team. And, you know, he may struggle early with playing the point. Uh, Talked to Penny Hardaway about that, but he'll get better. Uh, I went Trevion Williams instead of Jade Nivey, Robbie. Um, I just think Matt Painter's a guy who he wants to get the ball inside if he can. Now, again, you got two bigs there that are maybe going to share some of the production. And, and I had to give my boy Max Asmith's um some some love there for Moro roberts a little guy who did it three 20 point 25 point games uh in the ncaa tournament the first guy since steph curry to do that so he did it when it mattered the most
3: can, can you answer this though for me jeff why are you giving ace Miss credit for his ncaa tournament performances but then with johnny juzang you're like well you know
2: no i well, because A's misled the country now, what is in the difference?
3: scoring. Do you think average last six games, 23 points yeah. a game, 50% from the field, 37 from three? Like, he did it in the biggest games of the year. So why does why does one guy get a pass and say, that's great, look what he did in the NCAA tournament, and others you're like, well, he it was just covering inconsistencies. He was hot, as if that doesn't mean he's, he's killing in the, the NCAA tournament.
2: Ace misled the country in scoring. He did it from start to finish, including the NCAA tournament throughout the you season. When you look at the early there. season,
3: you, you, you pick and choose when it matters. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm you saying do. I'm out this, too. Dowster's doing the same crap on this <laughs> show. What do
1: you, I have I have Juzang as a second team All American. Like I just think he's a, a, a like a slight notch below where you have him, and mostly it's because I really think Jaime Jaquez is an absolute stud. Now like, you so, throw it away. Why Juzang take. There, there's no there's no hate on Juzang. I just love Hami You <laughs> Theo, before we get into your teams, real quick, Robbie, I just want to hear your take on Jaden Ivy versus Trevion Williams. Yeah, um, me I, too. I think that's something that's going to be an interesting conversation to have. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on the pod. Theo, me, um, me and Theo did uh, last week. I'm worried about uh Purdue shooting right when they had when they were yeah. real post heavy in 2016 2017 2018 they were the best three-point shooting team or, or at least one of the best three point shooting teams in the country i think they were seventh the year that they had uh um uh, biggie biggie swan and they were yeah, second nationally the national and year, and the year that they run. had Isaac Haas yeah so what, talk to me about Jaden Ivey and trip versus Trevion Williams and kind of if you're concerned about the shooting with Purdue
3: Yeah, I think that the shooting is certainly going to be the biggest thing. And you look at some of these guys, Eric Hunter, Sasha Stefanovich, they're going to have to make some threes. Brandon Newman can factor into that equation. I think he's a good shooter. Um, When you look at Jay Nivey versus Travion Williams, I do agree with Jeff that that Zach Eady is going to cannibalize some of Travion Williams' production. And it's not because Travion doesn't do it on a per 40-minute basis, because you're throwing the ball on the block more often than not he is going to get you a basket. He might be one of the best one-on-one scorers on the block in all of college basketball. Um, I just think when you look at Jaden Ivey, the way he played in the under-19s internationally, he's part of the all-tournament team, he moves different than anybody on the floor when you watch Purdue play, when you watch the way he is capable of defending. Now, I I think the question for him is, will he be an elite two-way player? Because you know he wants to score it. You know he's going to get to the rim. He's going to have some highlights that make you say, man, there's not many guys in not just the Big Ten, but all of college basketball who are going to make a play like Jaden Ivey just made. But I think for him to be special at a second-team All-American level, he's got to be an elite two-way player. And I think he's more than capable. um, But I think the question mark is, can he defend at that level um, when he's asked to do so? Because I I know Matt Painter is going to demand that of him. Um, you could go either way. I, you, know, you put Travion Williams out there, he, he certainly could be a guy that plays like that. Zach Eady has to be taken into account. But you, you could go either way, Jay Nivy, Travion Williams, I, I'd be with it.
1: I mean, the, the bottom line is they're both really, really good, which is part of the reason why Purdue has some really, really high expectations this year. T.O., let's get into your team. I, I'm really interested. None of us had a Kentucky player on it. And if I'm not mistaken, you have a Kentucky player somewhere on uh, one of your teams. So take me through it and talk me about talk to me a little about your Kentucky love.
6: I do. And just
9: go ahead
4: and throw both those Purdue guys on there because I have Travion Williams on my first team and Jaden Ivey on my second team. But I, I don't see how in the world Kellen Grady doesn't get that nod. He fits that. He fits what they're going to be doing perfectly. Cal's not going to have to coach him that much coming from Bob McKillop at Davidson. He already knows how to play without the ball and he's really good both off the dribble and catch and shoot opportunities. And he's playing with severe Wheeler that transferred from Georgia, that average seven and a half, eight, eight odd assists, something like that. I think he's going to fit perfectly. My shock. I'm going Alabama with Javon Quinterly. And the reason is he scored in double figures every game from February one on. And then he capped it off against Maryland in the second round of the NCAA tournament. He had 15 points, 11 assists, not to mention he was the SEC, uh, was it, the MVP of the SEC tournament. And he, he, I think he's finally figured out what Nate Oates wants him to do. He can get anywhere he wants with the ball in his hands. And he's got shooting around him to where he's really going to be able to, uh, you know, get to the paint. There's going to be a lot of space there. And I think he's really going to benefit. And then on the second team, Kellen Grady, obviously, it says Davidson there. He's obviously at Kentucky now. But Uh, I I just feel like the way that they're going to play with all the dribble drive action, you're not going to have to coach him to get to open spots. He's going to be a knockdown shooter. He's a mid-30s guy, but he's such a good scorer, and Kentucky's going to be back, and Kentucky's going to get so much attention anyway. That's why I think that he's going to end up being an All-American because he's going to be that sound scorer for the duration of the season. And then Patrick Baldwin Jr., Wisconsin-Milwaukee, consensus top five or six player in the country six nine he's compared to clay thompson i think that's a little bit nuts but he can really shoot the basketball he's playing with his dad so he's going to get everything drawn up for him he's going to average some serious numbers and he's going to be in that conversation not only for
1: uh freshman all-american but i think all-american when all is said and done jeff you and i have had a lot of mm-hmm. conversations about this Kentucky team when we were trying to put together these these All-American yeah. teams and, and whether or not it was right to leave somebody off. When you have a Kentucky team that's probably going to be as good as we expect them to be, uh, I, why why no Kentucky players for you? You know, I just don't know who to put on there. That's the thing is is Kellen Grady,
2: you got so much competition at that wing spot. The guy I probably would go with with the highest upside is, is Ty Ty Washington, their, their freshman, who's kind of a scoring point guard. But I don't know. I mean, again, is severe Wheeler going to be the one getting all the minutes. Uh, they've just got a lot of competition. Now, I, I will give you some some love on the Quinterly uh, pick because I talked to NATO last night and he said he's shooting the crap out of the ball and mm-hmm. making all the right reads in practice so far. So he thinks Quinterly's going to have a huge year as well. And, and they're going to need him to for Alabama to be really, really good and have a chance to. You know, to live up to the hype with them being a top fifteen or so team,
4: and, and I think, I think it's Herb Jones is no longer there. He's going to have the ball even more in his hands, and he finally kind of understood the dynamic after, you know, gosh, it took him three or four months to finally get in a rhythm. But once he got in a rhythm, man, he was dangerous.
2: Maybe three years, maybe three years. To get <laughs> yeah, three rhythm. years. Ago. Honestly, I mean, it did. It he was.
3: The Jelly Fam, you know. The yeah, jelly. I mean, so he's, he's going to put the a Jelly Fam out of the burn game. Burn
4: the, burn the jelly. Get
5: rid yeah, of the definitely. jelly. Yeah. Have you ever talked
3: to about a player preseason? And they've been like, man, he's just kind of not been that good. Has that yes. ever happened? Yes. Oh was... yeah. Hell yeah. Really? Yeah.
1: I it's mean, never. Yeah, it's yeah, never, yeah, never it's come never out on the it. record. It's never. It's never right. on the record. You can't yeah, off record. Hey, Rob.
2: Rob, they will. They will not be on one of my preseason All American teams.
1: So you know. let's face it. Um, I I do think Javon is going to put up huge numbers this season just because he's the point guard in a, in a system that goes like this. Like all they want to do is run and spot up three. So he's going to, he's going to have huge numbers. I don't, I'm not 100% sold on Alabama um, being great and good enough for him to, to kind of get into that conversation, but uh, the numbers are probably going to end up being there. Uh, Let's, let's close this out by talking a little bit about Amani Bates. Uh, I don't think if I'm not mistaken, I don't think any of us had him, as a preseason first-team All-American. 2nd said all- I, I, I had him second, but I don't think anybody had him first-team, which is right. – I don't know if that's going to be a controversial thing. I don't know if that's something that's going to be uh, a little bit um, kind of out of line with what consensus is. But I'm very intrigued to see how this this uh, experiment works out um, with Memphis and uh, Jalen Duran and Imani Bates and Penny and, and everything that's happening down there in Memphis. So, Robbie, take me through it a little bit. Why – Why Amani second team? Why not first team? And what are you kind of expecting out of that team this year?
3: Yeah, and I I think that if you asked this question like a year ago, you'd be like, this is really controversial that no one has him on a first team if he's going to go to college. Um, That was certainly a question. But I just think the opportunity is there. Alex Lomax has been – solid I guess you could say maybe maybe not maybe a little below solid and Tyler Harris comes back to Memphis after going to Iowa State for a year um, so the opportunity for him to play the point is certainly going to be there and you look at his size he's got a pretty good handle I'm curious to see how he is a decision maker at this level when you start seeing the, the scouting you're going to see and, and just yeah. how much game planning goes into it but he can really score. He's really aggressive. He's really talented, and I think that this kind of goes to what jo- to what Jeff was saying about Jawan Howard. Would there be anybody better to teach this dude how to be a point forward than Penny Hardaway? You know, and now you know Rasheed Wallace is there, and you also have Larry Brown there. I mean, he's got some incredible tools, some really really good coaches, some great minds. So I just think when you throw all those things together on top of his talent, and then also his team. I mean, their team is all of a sudden you're looking at them and you're like, man, these dudes, they have got some guys out here. And and this is a big year for Memphis. Let's let's be real about that. Mm -hmm. Two of the last three years, you go to the NIT, you win the NIT last year. This has to be an NCAA tournament team. And I think Penny Hardaway realizes that. And I I just think when you when all is said and done, you look at this roster, I think Imani Bates is going to get it done.
4: When we watched yeah, Penny. Bates play at the peach jam, there was no like second level reads when it came to his passes. I mean, like it's, it's like getting into the paint, hitting the dump off and that's pretty much it. And that's going to be significant because help side of college. I mean, it, it's, it's a lot different than what you're going to see at the peach jam, but I, I worry about putting him at the point guard because then you're taking away what he does best and that's get buckets. Monty Bates is a bucket. And even though, you know, with Tyler Tyler transfers down from Iowa state. He didn't win a game last year. He hasn't had any success. Lomax has been mediocre at best. Like there's opportunity for him to be there, but is that the best thing for your team? And, and for a team that's been so good defensively like Memphis over the past couple of seasons, they were the best defense. Dowster emphasized that to me in our podcast. They were the best defense in the country last year from an efficiency uh, perspective, but offensively, this team needs to know how to score. Jalen Duren's not really that guy. Imani Bates can be that guy to go get a bucket for your team if you put him in the right spots. And if you don't play
1: him at the point – if you play him at the point guard position, you're kind of taking him out of what he's really good at. And he's also I, supposed to be a senior in high school. like A lot of these guys yeah. that reclass – are reclassing into what their grade was supposed to be. So they're Mm -hmm. someone that should have been a freshman in college already that is reclassifying into the grade they were already supposed to be in. Amani's 17. He is so young, he's not going to be eligible until the 2023 NBA draft. That's how young he is. He really should be a senior in high school. And he's a kid where the talent is there, but I think the biggest thing that he's going to struggle with is the physicality. Like the dude weighs probably what, Jeff? 183. Yeah. So
2: 183 was last time I talked to him.
1: He's really, so, really slender. So ha- handling that toughness and the physicality of, of, of Division one college basketball, it's not an easy thing to you do. You guys have hit on all of it. Listen, you guys have hit on
2: all of it. I talked to Penny earlier today, and what he said was, listen, he's going to see a lot of time at the point, but he's not going to be the only guy. We're not throwing him out on an island here, and he's our only point. When he's on the floor, he'll have help from whether it's Alex Lomax, DeAndre Williams, He'll have other guys who can take some of the pressure off him. But I do think he's going to be up and down early in his career because, again, never really played the position, not like he's going to do this year, 183 pounds. And he's got a lot of mouths to feed. So, like, up here, it's going to be hard for him because the wheels are going to be spinning. Not only what's the correct play, but in his mind, he's going to be like, oh, shit. Like, I haven't gotten him the ball in a while Mm-hmm. or maybe he's not thinking that way. I don't know, but there's a lot to process for a point guard who's never really played the position and now is doing it with a lot of pressure
1: on him. But hey, I Dave, love you his can, talent. Can you bring that that comment back up about Brandon Ingram real quick? Because I, I think that's actually an interesting thing that I do want to touch on real quick before we get out of here. Um, Brandon Ingram uh, developed into a guy that is is one of the best kind of wing creators in the NBA right now. I think he averaged, what, 24, 5, and 5? For the Pelicans last season, but it's the kind of thing where um, he is. Brandon was what six ten with a seven foot four wingspan, something like that. Uh, you've seen everyone's seen the Imani Bates comparisons to Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is is I think he's listed at six nine, but that dude is a seven footer with a seven yeah. foot five wingspan yeah. and and probably the the greatest uh, shot maker of all time for somebody that, that that's anywhere. Well, Imani
2: didn't grow in the last two years. He didn't grow. Yeah. He was six eight two years ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's the that wingspan, it. it's it's the height, it's the physicality. Like that that dude is 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 built to score, but it's not like he's stepping in and he's going to be an automatic finished project He's 17 years
7: old, right? right? I, totally, I just
1: totally i I want to make sure that we emphasize this. So when he doesn't come out and average 28 a game, and people are like, yeah. "Oh, he's a bust," like yeah. look, he's 17 years old. No, so if if he, he averages out, if he 14. If he, 14, he averages 15. Yeah. Yeah, 15 and
2: five, 15 and five. And and the turnovers are, you know, if he's got anywhere close to a two to one assist to turnover ratio, he's had a hell of a year.
1: Yep. 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 I agree. All right, guys, this has been fun Uh, for the people that are watching right now. This is the field of 68 after dark. We are going to have this show live every night during the college basketball season. We are going to be recapping everything. It's going to be 11 p.m. Eastern time, talking about all the biggest games. We're going to have some of the biggest names in college basketball on the show with us. We're going to have live interaction. We're going to have players. We're going to have coaches. Hopefully, we're going to have live interviews in the locker room after games. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it's going to be something that we try to do. Obviously, these gentlemen, Terrence Oglesby, Robbie Hummel, and Jeff Goodman are going to be on the show as well. So make sure you subscribe on YouTube. You follow us on Twitter, anywhere that you listen to podcasts or are you watching this right now, just hit that subscribe button. Hit that follow button. It's really easy to do. You're going to be able to keep up with everything that we do on this channel. So we will see you guys again very, very soon. Thank you for tuning in. Gentlemen, this has been fun. Definitely.
4: See you guys. Thank you, gentlemen.